him working with the kids. Wow, great, great music today from beginning to finish. Those are all wonderful songs. Turning a blind eye. Ever heard that phrase? Uh, Turning a blind eye. We say that to somebody that we're turning a blind eye. That just means that we see something uh, or we've heard a command or we've heard some sort of instruction that we, in reality, we know it's there. Uh, We know it's been given. We know that it's going on. But we're going to pretend as if we do not know. So some piece of information or some activity uh, that we see and we see it and we know it's going on. But we're going to pretend as if it's not. And so we use that phrase, turning a blind eye. I was thinking about that phrase this week and I wondered where did that phrase come from? Where did the phrase turn a blind eye come from? And so I looked it up. And uh, it came from an event uh, in the history of the Royal Navy of Great Britain, of England. The Battle of Copenhagen, 1801. The cautious Admiral Sir Sir Hyde Parker was uh, in charge of all the British ships that were fighting in the Battle of Copenhagen. And uh, the fighting got really intense and it got really hot. And so the way the British Navy worked back then is they used a flag system to send commands. So different flags would mean different things. And from the main admiral's command ship, they would wave the flags to give the commands to the other ships. And so uh, uh, the lead admiral, he was kind of a cautious guy, and the battle was getting really hot. And so he had the flags wave to tell the ships to basically disengage, to quit uh, fighting in in the heat of the battle. And on one ship, there was a young, uh, a young leader uh, by the name of Horatio Nelson, Admiral Horatio Nelson. Now, Horatio Nelson was very young, and uh, very early in his career with the English Navy, he had had one of his eyes had gotten injured uh, serving in the Navy, and so he was only able to see out of one eye. So you ever wonder, where did the phrase turn a blind eye come from? Well, in the heat of the battle... The, con- the, the cautious admiral had them wave the flags to disengage from the fighting. And uh, one of Horatio Nelson's lieutenants uh, said, hey, whatever he called him, Horatio, uh, Captain Admiral, whatever it was, said, look, they're, they're sending the signal to disengage. And being young and hot-blooded and full of vigor and wanting to be in the fight, Horatio Nelson, the last thing he wanted to do is disengage. And he felt like if we keep on pressing right now, we might win the battle. And they uh, kept saying, sir, they're sending the signal to disengage. And so Horatio Nelson took the spyglass and he lifted it up to his eye, but he lifted it up intentionally to the eye that he couldn't see out of that was covered up. And he lifted it up to the eye that he couldn't see out of and he said, I don't see them telling us to disengage anywhere. I don't see it. And he continued to fight in the battle. And that is where the phrase turning a blind eye comes from. He knew that they were really telling him to stop fighting, but he lifted that spyglass up to his eye that he couldn't see out of, and he said, I, I don't see it. I don't, I don't see where they're telling us to disengage. That was one of the things, in fact, the way the battle turned out, it was one of the things that has made Horatio Nelson um, famous in the, in the annals of war, turning a blind eye. Did you know The Bible teaches us very clearly to respect and to honor the civil authority. 
But there are situations when the Bible tells us that we are essentially to turn a blind eye to what the government is telling us to do. Now, it doesn't use that phrase to turn a blind eye, but that's what's going on. The civil authority may tell us something uh, that we're not to do, and God's Word, basically what you see in the New Testament, what you're going to see today is the Word of God says, you just keep going on with what your king, King Jesus, has told you to do regardless of what those civil authorities are up to. And one of the places where this becomes clear, and in fact, they have a verse, uh, a statement that is made uh, that makes this very clear that there are times that we are to turn a blind eye to what the civil authority is doing and to ignore their command and to keep doing what King Jesus has said. One of the clearest places this comes up is in Acts chapter 5. That happens to be right where we're at in our sermon series in Acts. So go to Acts chapter 5 and let's read together. Now we've got several verses to read today, all right, to, to, to put this together. So Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 12, all right, and let's see uh, what's happening in the life of the early church. Now remember, if you were here last week, uh, a major change has occurred in the early church. It had all been going good, and the Spirit of God was going, and the, the fire of the Holy Spirit was, was moving upon the church, and they were going and spreading the gospel. And then there were two individuals that lied to the church, and they got caught. Ananias and Sapphira, they lied. And they got caught lying, and the apostles made it clear, you haven't lied to us, you have, you have lied to God. Because again, it is King Jesus, that is who is king of the church. We just do the ministry he's called us to do. And they said, you haven't lied to us, you've lied to God. And they both died. And when they died, let's just start in verse 11 of chapter 5. It says, great fear came upon all the church. We might say a great respect. A great respect, the kind of fear of respect of, whoa, this God is all-powerful. And upon as many as heard these things. Verse 12, and by hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And of the rest, no man joined himself to them, but the people magnified them. Now that verse is a little unclear, and there are a lot of opinions on what does it mean. Uh, does it mean that they were so afraid that they wouldn't join up? Well, we're going to read the next verse that there are people who continue to join up. Now, does it mean that there were some Jews that were close to becoming a part, and then when that event happened that those Jews stepped away and said, whoa, this God is a little too much for us, and backed away? Is that what it means? Or does it just mean that there were so many people coming to faith that they could not all continue to meet together in this one place? It's not, it's not exactly clear, but what is clear in verse 3 is the people magnified them. And believers were the more added to the Lord multitudes, both of men and women, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches. Look, look at what they're hoping for. That at the least, the very least, the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about to Jerusalem, bringing sick folks and them that were vexed or, or hurting from unclean spirits, and they were healed every one. So this great ministry is happening. We've seen some opposition without the church, some opposition within the church with Ananias and Sapphira, and now we're going to see that the opposition from without is really going to ratchet up. What happens? Verse 17. Then the high priest rose up, and all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees. Now, keep that in mind, because we come back to break this text down. What's going to occur, it's almost as if God is pulling a big joke on the Sadducees. And we'll get back to why that is, all right? But it's very important that this high priest, who's going to put a stop to this, 
is a Sadducee. The text wants us to know that. This is the Sadducees that are doing this. They were filled with indignation. And they laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go, stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. So they get a command on high from the king. We sang that we are going to see the king. Well, in this case, the king came to see them, and he said, you are to go, and you are to proclaim Jesus and continue preaching him. And when they heard that, verse 21 says, they entered into the temple early in the morning, and they taught. They, they got right on task. They went right and did what they were supposed to do. But the high priest came, and they that were with him, and called the council together, and all the senate of the children of Israel, and they sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and found them not in the prison, they returned and told. They said, the prison, truly, we found we shut. We shut it up with all safety, and the keepers were standing there before the doors. But when we had opened it, we found no man within. By the way, they had no idea. They had no idea that during the night, God had done the most miraculous and amazing thing. It doesn't matter whether you know or whether I know, what matters is there is a God that still moves. Still moves. You won't read about it in the paper. You won't usually see it in the, in the highlights of, 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 of what's going on. But there is a God that was moving then and they didn't see it and they didn't know it and he'd already moved. They said, hey, nobody there. Verse 24, now when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these things, they doubted of them. Or they were concerned that this would grow. They don't want this out there, that they've been stumped in this kind of way. So verse 25 says, Then came one and told them, saying, Behold, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then when the captain with the officers went and brought them, got, went and got them without violence. Why? Because they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. The people are being healed and God is moving and so these authorities know we better not do this with violence or they may turn on us verse 27 and when they had brought them they sat them before the council and the high priest asked them now we know that they uh, asked Jesus questions and we know that they put Jesus to the test so we should not be surprised when the civil authorities want to demand answers of us now again this is the high priest but they're also very connected with how uh, the city is run so that's kind of some bleeding over here of, of the civil and religious in this case but they come and they, they want they want to know some things they they want to they want to know what's going on and so they verse 28 said did we did we not straightly did we not clearly command you that you should not teach in this name behold you have filled jerusalem with your doctrine you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. Say that after me. Rather than men. We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you slew, and hanged on a tree. Him, this Jesus, hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses. They are the ambassadors of this King Jesus. We are his witnesses of these things. And so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God has given to them that obey him. And when they heard that, they were 
cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. So just as Jesus was questioned, they have been questioned. And just as it was determined that Jesus must die, they have determined that his disciples, his apostles, his witnesses must die as well. They took counsel to slay them. But there's one with some wisdom. One that it seems to me maybe had taken the book of Proverbs to heart. There was one that stood up in the midst of this council, a Pharisee. So we've we've seen what the Sadducees who are in the temple, what they have to say. What, what were one of the great leaders of the Pharisees? So we've got Democrats and Republicans in their great Senate. They had Sadducees and Pharisees. What is it that the Pharisee will say? Well, one named Gamaliel. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Apostle Paul. Names connected to one we'll read later in the, in the book of Acts. One named Paul. And this Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law, and had a reputation among all the people, a good reputation, commanded to put the apostles forth a little space. He said, give, let's give a little room here. He said unto them, uh, kind of says to the group, let's put those guys aside for a minute. Let me talk to you. You men of Israel, take heed to yourself what you intend to do as touching these men. For before these days rode up uh, Thaddeus, boasting himself to be somebody, to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves. And what happened to that guy? Well, he was slain, and all, as many as obeyed him, they were scattered. After he died, nothing, nothing happened. It was brought to naught. And after this man rose up Judas of Galilee in the days of the taxing, you remember him? He drew many, many people away after him, but he also perished. And all those, even as many as obeyed him, they, they were dispersed. It all ended. So now I say unto you, refrain from these men and let them alone. Leave them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. It's not going to come to anything. The, the, the things of men fade away as the grass withers. There's nothing to worry about. Don't get all bent out of shape. If, if it's of men, eventually it's going to die away. But if it be of God, you cannot Overthrow it. A small phrase, but a phrase with a lot of meaning. If it be of God, there's nothing you can do about it. He says, hey, listen, uh, you don't want to be found even to fight against God. And to him, they agreed. They calmed down and they listened to Gamaliel. And when they called the apostles, they beat them. So instead of killing them, they just beat them. And they commanded them that they should not speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. And so what happens then after they've been beating? Well, uh, do, they get off, do they get off course from what the king had commanded them to do? Do they decide they're going to enact uh, some, some, some new activities? No, it says they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name, and they went right back to what they were doing. Daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not teach and preach Jesus Christ. You know we call this place Cookville Free Will Baptist Church, but the reality is that you and me and all of us together, we are the church and this is now the local body that we are a part of. It is ultimately not about the building. Thank the Lord for the building and for the ability to, to have Bible studies and to do ministry and to sing today, to praise the Lord together and to worship. But at the end of the day, we are the church and these early believers, they were the church. They are the church. And from then, from this story, there are four dimensions, right? There are different dimensions, different 
what we might call layers or parts to what it means to be disciples of Jesus, what it means to be his church. And from this early church, from this set of events that occurs, I see at least four dimensions that we can learn about what it means for you and for me and us together to be the church. And so I want to point these out today, and I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to teach you this morning through God's Word. The first thing that I see, the first dimension to being a Christian, to being a part of the church, is we must respect God's power. We must respect, if we're going to be a part of the church, it must begin with respecting the power of God. Now, all throughout today's passage, this just sort of undergirds everything that goes on. We see that these disciples, these apostles, these men, uh, these Christians are serious. We need to respect God's power. Throughout the Old Testament, calamity and trouble come from those come for those who flippantly or haphazardly deal with the living God. We must not enter into this space or any space of our life. There is no corner of our life where we must not recognize that there is a God of power that watches over us and has called us and has saved us. And so whether you're at the job or whether you're here or whether you're with your family or whether you're on vacation, we must realize that we are the church wherever we go. And the church must respect the power of of the living God. Zechariah 2.13 tells us, Be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near, for the Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has consecrated His guest. Be silent before the Lord God. Be quiet and respect what He has to say. Habakkuk 2.20 states, The Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before Him. Over and over again in the Bible, we are told that we need to listen, to respect God's power, and to hear what God has to say. Listen, if you want to see God's power move in our community, say amen. Then we must respect God. It begins with us. It begins with us as a witness to this community that we are the people, whatever else they say about us, we are the people that respect the power of God, and it comes from the way that we listen and obey Him. So we must it's a dimension of church life. We must respect God's power. There's a second dimension that I see today to being the church and we see here, and that is we are to preach simply and clearly. Respect God's power, and as you go out under that power, preach simply and preach clearly. Now, there are a number of things happening in these early days of the church that we are seeing in the book of Acts. But one thing that uh, keeps happening is the believers uh, keep getting in trouble and there's one thing that keeps getting them in trouble we've already seen it and we're going to see it again throughout this book there's one thing that they keep doing that keeps getting them in trouble over and over and over again and what is that one thing that they do every time they're told don't go talk about Jesus they go out in the clearest and simplest terms they go right back to what they were doing before and they begin to clearly and simply preach Jesus so I would ask you, did you find time this past week with somebody to testify, to point to, to proclaim the name of Jesus? As on this day of rest, for, for most of us, some will go to work tonight and, and do these things, but for those of us that can rest, has anybody here given any thought today to come today in prayer and ask the Lord, Lord, help me this week because I know this person or in this situation I need to simply and clearly Proclaim your name. That's what drove them. 
was simply and clearly preaching Jesus. I'm glad that my mom and dad simply and clearly told me about Jesus. I'm glad that I've had Sunday school teachers and, and, and church musicians and pastors that have simply and clearly taught me to look to Jesus. Listen, the Bible says this. Listen, we, we don't want to submit to Jesus. We want to walk in our pride. And yet Jesus kept saying, if you want life, you must turn from sin and you must follow me. Now, look again at verse 27. All right, look, go back to verse 27. Look at, look at what uh, the Word of God says there in verse uh, 27. It says, When they had brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest, and uh, they, they asked them, the Bible said, Did not we straightly command you, didn't we clearly command you, that you should not teach in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. Boy, they went and told everybody after they were told not to. And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered, and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. The God, what God? The God of our fathers who raised up Jesus, whom you slew and hanged on the tree. Him has God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. They have already told him to stop once. And they bring him back in because the believers cannot stop clearly and simply proclaiming the name of Jesus. If you have a word this week, if you have a word for others, let it be the word Jesus that is constantly and clearly on your lips. And keep it simple so folks can understand that what they need most in life is Jesus. Don't be a longhorn preacher. Now, I'm just curious. If you know what a long, and I'm not talking about somebody from Texas, all right? If you know, uh, we got Warner back with us, getting ready to go back to college from Texas, not talking about somebody in Texas. If you know what a longhorn preacher is, raise your hand. Good. A lo- but you, you didn't know this, but you've met some. And, and you might say it about me sometimes. A longhorn preacher is somebody who's got a point here and a point there and a lot of bull in between. Longhorn preacher. Some of you will get, there we go. Oh, not about your son. Wow, that is, I got it honest, you know. Front of, longhorn preacher. Point here, point there. A lot of bull in between. I wonder if the Lord God looks at me looks at you i wonder if what he sees is somebody that makes a point here and makes a point there and then there's a lot in between that has very little to do with his calling on your life his purpose for you don't be like that listen the the king of england back in the day kind of kind of keep with our illustrations from people in england uh, king george apparently he he used to apparently love to go to church and they had a beautiful church built for him that he could that he could go to his windsor chapel and and he was actually a king who enjoyed going and uh, liked to go, and in Windsor Chapel, he had his own pew. And you can kind of imagine, for, for people of, of that status, it, it can get kind of crazy going to public gatherings, even like church. And so the king had his own pew, and they had an individual that was in charge of that pew to make sure the king and his family could get to it and could come and hear the messages. And one day, the officer in charge of King George's pew uh, let the cat out of the bag. He said, you know, King George always does the same thing. Uh, if he comes to a service and he and he really likes it when the service is over as he gets up from his pew. If he likes the preaching and thinks it's good, King George will get up and say, that will do, that will do, that will feed souls. That's what they said King George would do if he liked the preaching. He'd get up on his way out and he'd say, that will do, that will feed souls. But the officer in charge of his pew said, I always know 
when he doesn't like it, because if he doesn't think it's a good message when the sermon's over, can you imagine the king doing this? The king would rise up out of his pew and he'd walk out and go, that won't do. That won't do. That won't feed souls. My friends, our words are to be words that will feed and encourage and lift up and convict and challenge and confront sin. But in the midst of it all, we must keep the focus on Jesus because only Jesus is the king who can supply the need of all people. So keep it about Jesus. Jesus. So what does it mean to be the church wherever we go? What does it mean? We are to be the people that respect God's power We are to be the people that preach simply and preach clearly. But there is a third thing that we see today. If we are to respect God's power and to preach Jesus simply and clearly, then thirdly, we must withstand wicked civil pressure. Now, this is religious and civil, so you could also put religious pressure there. Uh, They're fulfilling both roles here. There are times when the church must withstand the wicked pressure from the civil pressure government or from uh, religious uh, powers around us. Look at verse 40 and verse 42 again. Uh, The people, uh, the Senate, they agreed with Gamaliel. And when they had called the apostles and beat them, what did they do? What command were they given from the authorities? They commanded them that they should not speak in the name of Jesus, and then they let them go. Well, what did they do? Well, they departed from the presence of the council Rejoicing, they rejoiced in their beating because they recognized they'd been counted worthy to suffer shame for Jesus' name. And then did they go and speak his name no more? No, it says daily they were in the temple, every day. And what were they doing every day in the temple and in every house where they would meet? They were ceasing not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. If you were glad that these first believers chose to honor God instead of man so that Gentiles like you and I one day could hear the word and be saved if you are glad that they withstood the pressure of the civil authority say amen we should not be shocked or surprised when our government or any human government opposes the ways of Christ Jesus said in John eighteen thirty six, my kingdom is not of this world so our kingdom christ's kingdom will put us at times in opposition to our earthly rulers Uh, we know that's true all over the world i noticed yesterday a new york times article that then when i looked it up it was it was at least on the internet all over uh, the internet sites of the major papers one of the largest churches in china uh, the church of the golden lampstand which that's interesting isn't it that comes from revelation uh, where the Lord God says you've, you've got to uh, repent of, basically gives them sins and says you need to turn from this wickedness and turn back to me, your first love, or I will take out the light uh, of, the, of, your, of your lamp. I'll take it of the light of the church. And so I found it interesting, this church in China, the Church of the Golden Lampstand, it's one of the largest churches in China, and they actually over time were able to build one of the largest buildings, church buildings in China. And this past week, the police, which are under the authority, really, of the communist government there, the police went in and they showed pictures where they dynamited. They went in and dynamite, with dynamite, blew up this huge church in China this past week. Now, here is what the powers of this world do not understand. They may have blown up a building, but only God can snuff out the light of a true church. No civil authority 
can come to us and silence us and stop us and do that. Only God can come to the church and say, this will no longer be a church. They can take the buildings. They can take the properties. They can do what they desire, but they cannot stop the true church. We, when the powers command us to disobey God, we must turn a blind eye. Oh, we know what they have said. We know what they have commanded, but we can't see that because we're too focused on what our king has told us to do. We must withstand the civil pressure. We must keep preaching Jesus. We must keep promoting the principles of his kingdom. Now, sometimes it's hard to know how to respond to the civil powers. Sometimes it's hard to know what to do when they promote wickedness. I was reminded yesterday that Proverbs 15, 28 tells us the heart of the righteous one studies a righteous man will ponder a thing. The heart of the righteous will study or ponder how to answer. But the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. What is the difference between the righteous and the wicked? The wicked man can't shut up. The wicked man can't stop. The wicked man must continue to say this and say that and, and do this and do that. The righteous man sees a thing and he pauses and he will not allow just the emotion to overtake him. He will pause and he will think. And he will discern what to do. Why does the righteous man, why is the righteous man not the one who's constantly running the mouth and constantly sending the tweets and constantly doing this and doing that? Why is a righteous man one who ponders things? Because the righteous man is the one who has learned to be silent before God and realize before he acts, he better see and wait and watch and know what is it that God will have me do. My friends, it doesn't matter whether it's church life or political life or family life. Sometimes we need to really listen to what the Old Testament said. And we need to get silent and we need to listen to God. And we need to know what does the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, what does he have for us to say and to do? That's the problem with the political powers. They do not listen to God. They have already determined their path and determined their way. And so they will shoot out this and they will shoot out that. And we must be the people who say, whoa, I don't care what civil authority says. What I want to know is what does King Jesus have to say to me? If you get my point, say amen. Brother Mike Townsley, he's not in here, he's, he's teaching children's church. And uh, Brother Mike got a group of guys, mentioned this the other Wednesday night, a group of eight or nine guys to read the Bible together this year. And, and every day, Brother Mike's one of our deacons, every day he sends us what our Bible reading is for that day, and then we have to text back when we've completed it. That's often the missing ingredient is the accountability. And I'll never forget when Brother Mike sent this out, to, and he included me in this, these nine guys that he... He felt like, by the way, and I appreciate that, part of that came from the Mike's heart. He felt like, he said, you know, I'm a deacon and I'm, I'm supposed to be caring for, for spiritual needs of people. And he thought, how can I do this? And the Lord just impressed on his heart, well, I need to find some men and start holding them accountable to reading God's word. If you're glad we got deacons like that, say amen. And so the first text he sent out, he said, guys, I know how much some of us send on Facebook. And I know how much time some of us send on social media. And I know how much TV, and I don't remember all the things he said, but he said, I know how much time we spend doing all this other stuff. And if we can't stop and read three or four chapters out of the Bible every day, something's wrong for us as men, as Christian men and women. Something's wrong because what that says when we have time for everything else, but we don't have time to listen to God's word, what that means is we've got time for all that, but we don't have time to be silent and to hear 
from God. Oh, if we need a word from God, say amen. And if we're going to stand the wickedness, it's not just China. It's in our country as well. It's in our community as well. If we're going to withstand the great wickedness and what the powers of this world are going to tell us, young people, if you're going to withstand this flood of wickedness that is, that is going on, seniors, if you're going to finish your race strong with this great flood of wickedness, listen, sometimes we need to stop and we need to quit listening to those that just constantly have something to say, who are just constantly pouring out information for us. And we need to stop and we need to hear what the Lord God has to say. See it now. Listen, I, I I read the news, so I believe in that. But whether it's Fox News or CNN News or MSNBC or whatever, listen, they've all got their own agendas that they're promoting. We all need to be smart enough to know that. And if you can listen to that every day, and watch that every day, and young people, if you can put on CDs and listen to music every day from some secular artist, or you can watch some television program, or you can go to these movies and you can watch and watch and watch, and yet you have no time to get in the Word of God and listen to what God has to say to you. Listen, I'm not here today to beat you up, but I do want to say to you that you need to listen because the Lord God who has said, would you stop listening to those who constantly have things to pour out of their mouth, and would you stop because the righteous man is one who waits, and he waits because he's listening to God. And if that's one thing I need, and you need, and our families need, and our children need, then we just all, this everybody needs. We need to listen to the Lord. We need to control the tongue, and we need to listen to the one tongue that matters. The word that God has. The more foolishness, the more wickedness comes out. The more we talk and the more we say. And so the Bible tells us, be silent before a living God. Be silent before Him. And they have only one thing to preach and one thing to say. And that is Jesus. And I'm convinced that's because they had realized in the midst of this great power of what Peter had done. Ananias and Sapphira have died. Their words got them in trouble. Because with their mouths they lied. And when they lied, they were caught with it, and God exposed it. And I think after that happened, it put something on them that they realized, we better be careful what we say. And the one thing that we know, the one word that we have, the one life-affirming word that will save people is the name of Jesus. So if we're going to be the church, we've got to respect God's power. And we've got to preach simply and clearly. And we've got to be willing to withstand civil pressure and religious pressure. And finally, we must trust in God's deliverance how can they withstand this civil pressure how can they how can they could go right back to the temple preaching because they knew they knew that the power was not with the Sadducees they knew that it was not with the high priest they knew that the power was with God now here's what I love right as a church we've got to trust God for deliverance now back in verse 17 this is one of my favorite here's a teaching moment all right here's a teaching moment verse 17 then the high priest rose up, and all they that were with him. And what, what group is he a part of? Well, he's part of the Sadducees. Now, why does the text tell us that? I ask myself that. Why, why include that, right? I mean, is that just sort of a, a footnote, or is there something God really wants us to know there? And I'm, I'm convinced of this. I'll bracket this. This is my opinion. But I'm convinced of this. There's a reason that you're to know that that's the Sadducees. Because you know what the Sadducees did not believe in? They didn't believe in the resurrection. They also did not believe in angels. And so the one that is over the temple at that time, he doesn't believe in angels. He's already said, he's already confessed belief, and he's got a whole group of people that are helping to run the country of Israel. They don't believe in this supernatural power being active in the world. And so the text tells us 
our high priest is a Sadducee. Well, who? So verse 18, this, this one that doesn't believe in the supernatural, doesn't believe in the angelic powers, doesn't believe in the resurrection, what does he do through his people? He laid, verse 18 says, their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. I might get Pentecostal here for a moment, so hang on. Who saved them from the prison? The angel of the Lord. So why are we told that it's Sadducees? I think one reason is because God wants you to know. They think they're in control. And they think I'm not around. And they think I've got nothing to say about this. Throw them in prison. And I'll show up supernaturally, which you don't even believe in. And I will save them and deliver them that way. Whew, if that's good, say amen. The Sadducees, we don't even believe. We, we don't even believe that there are angels there. And God in his sovereignty says the angel of the Lord showed up and delivered them. Listen, you may not believe in God today, but there is a God that's there. And you not, may not believe in the resurrection today. Now here's the thing. What God did with the Sadducees was both a condemnation on them, and it was also an act of mercy. Preacher, how can it be both things? How can he be both judging them and giving mercy at the same time? Well, one, he has judged them by saving them through, the, uh, through this angelic power, this angel of the Lord. And we could, we could discuss what that means, but one thing's for sure, that's supernatural work there going on. One thing he's done is he has confronted them with their error. He's let them throw them in prison, and now he is confronted with them. How did they get out of prison? Well, the supernatural was God that did this work. So he has condemned them. And he's exposed their false teaching, and he's exposed their wickedness. But he's also done a great act of mercy for them. Because if they were ever going to believe in Jesus, this act would have sealed the deal. If they were ever going to accept him in his mercy, God allows this to occur. It's also an act of mercy because if you're confronted with the error of your way by God himself, that's a great act of mercy because when you're confronted with that error, that gives you an opportunity to repent and say, I was wrong. I was wrong about all this. There actually is supernatural work going on. And, and maybe Jesus was really resurrected from the dead. Because lo and behold, if they can get them out of prison, when we've locked them up, there must be something to these believers. And so this is both a great act of God condemning them in their false belief. But God is so powerful that in the same act that he's condemning their unbelief, he has also provided a mercy for them because they've been confronted with their error and they can now accept the Lord. My friends, those early Christians, the church, they trusted in God for deliverance. And so they were able to stand up to these wicked religious and civil authorities that told them to be quiet. They were able to stand up because they knew at the end of the day that it wouldn't be those powers that were going to be their salvation. It was Jesus, Jesus, Jesus who saved them. Now my friend today, maybe you're not a part of the church. I don't mean our local church. Maybe you're not a part of Jesus' church. You say, what's all this got to do with me? Well, you're kind of like the Sadducee today. If you've not put your trust in Jesus, you're kind of standing out away from Jesus. And you're living in the error of your sin. And you're walking in the error of your life. And the truth is, if you're on church this morning and you haven't trusted Jesus for salvation, i got a feeling you're in this place because you know Something's not quite right, and there's something I need. 
You know what you need today? You need for God to confront your sin. And he has through this text. It's not just the Sadducees' error and sin he wants to confront. It's yours. And through this living word of God, he's confronting you today. And he's saying to you, will you be like the Sadducees? Will you be like the Sadducees who are going to turn away from these witnesses and not listen? Or will you embrace and will you believe? I've confronted you with your sin. There's only one way of salvation, and it is this one, Jesus. Will you turn to him today? Will you be like those early believers who trusted God for deliverance? Or will you turn away like the Sadducees and continue in your sin and continue in your error? My friends, this is no game. This is no game. This is eternal life and eternal death. If you've not embraced Jesus today, there's nothing more powerful or more I can do that's stronger than this word of God today that has shown you Jesus is what you need. Oh, if you believe Jesus can save today, say amen. He can save you. Some of you we've been praying for and we've been asking God, let today be the day. But my friends, you're like those Sadducees. You've got to make the choice. Will you serve him or not? There's some of you today that you need to think about the dimensions of early church life. And you need to ask yourself, am I respecting the power of God wherever I go? Or am I hiding in my room and looking at the computer or things that I shouldn't because, well, God's not there, but my friend, he is there. Or maybe at school, I'm wasting a lot of time or cheating on tests or doing things like that. Well, you need to respect God's power because he's there. Respect him. And you'll find that God is always on time and will always deliver you no matter whatever situation you're in if you are trusting and looking to him. Powerful message, four dimensions, not because of the words I've said, but a powerful word from God, these dimensions of church life. If you need to be saved today, my friend, please, you come and we'll talk together right here at this altar. We'll talk together about Jesus. Would you stand with me this morning? Musicians, come. Dear God, I ask right now that you would speak to us, that you would strengthen us to help us through this word. Lord, I ask today for that one that is in the pew that needs the deliverance of God. Lord, they don't need to be like the Sadducees. They don't need to continue in their error and in their sin. Lord, they need to experience the breadth of your mercy and your salvation. Lord, I pray right now that the Holy Spirit would do its work. If there's one that needs to come, may they come. Lord, I pray today if there are some believers that this word has strengthened them, that they are weak in the faith. Lord, they are faltering. Lord, and if this word has encouraged them and they need to spend some time in prayer with you and maybe with others praying with them, Lord, I pray that they would feel the freedom to come. Lord, if there are those that have issues, not salvation, but Lord, just problems in their life, they need to come today and just recognize, Lord, I'm going to believe you for deliverance with what's going on with me. Lord, I pray that they would feel the freedom to come. Lord God, you move. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.